All right. So last week, Moses is told to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, right on, of course I'll do that right away. No, actually, I guess Pharaoh didn't do that. Pharaoh says, no, 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 no. So how many plagues were there? This is a hint for you. Ten plagues. Last one was particularly bad. It was the death of the firstborn. The Israelites put blood on the door. Any house that had blood on the lintel on the door, the Lord passed over that house, hence the name Passover. And the firstborn of that household was spared. A little history lesson in 30 seconds. It will not be a test. All right, the Egyptians finally said, okay, we've had enough, we've had enough, go. And then the Israelites go and they, they got to pilfer all of the valuables they can find from their Egyptian hosts. And they head out into the desert. And then what happens? Pharaoh changes his mind and says, I don't want to let those people go. They're free labor. Sends the army after them. And that's kind of where the story takes place today. God's servant, uh, the messenger, is actually going before them during the day with, with fire and uh, clouds, and then at night with, with fire and whatnot. All right. So how many of you in your own life have ever felt like something held you down or imprisoned you? Anybody at all? Anybody have something? Yeah, you, we do too. Now what's interesting is that God doesn't take the Israelites and pick them up out of Egypt and drop them at the promised land. What do they have to do? They have, first of all, they have to start walking and they have to leave. When you have an issue, if you smoke and you decide, I have smoked my last cigarette, I'm putting it down and I'm walking away from cigarettes, what happens to you 30 minutes later? You want a cigarette. The cigarette follows right behind you. If you've got an oppressor, if you've got something that is oppressing you, I guarantee you it is going to follow you along. To say, oh, I've walked away from, how many, like when you were, like, I've walked, I've, I've had impure thoughts. I will never have, that's wrong. I will never have impure thoughts again until the next time yeah. I have an impure thought. Those thoughts, they come right along in my wake. They do a really nice job of that. I don't really have to invite them. But if you look at the story, the Israelites take the most valuable thing that they can find. We take Egypt with us. We don't really like what's oppressed. We don't like the fact that we're oppressed. But there's part of that oppression that we actually have gotten used to. And I don't really know how to deal with my life if I don't take some of that with me. We take Egypt with us when we go. Is that the stupidest thing you've ever heard? And how many of you have done that besides me? One of the simple truths in, in pastoral counseling or psychology, it's a very simple truth and it's, and it's super annoying. It's this. No one else is your problem. No one else is your problem. You are your problem. How you deal with what you are in 
defines whether or not you continue to be your problem or not. How much of Egypt you take with you decides how much of your problem you're going to hang on to. Now, so the Hebrew people get to the water, the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, depending on your translations, water, whatever. And now there's a big body of water between in front of them and they've got the pursuing hardship and calamity behind them. This is, a, this is a between a rock and a hard place. The Talmud actually says that until they walked into the water, the waters didn't part. How many of us, when we hit that next obstacle, we stuck? We say, okay, God, now's the time for you to part the waters for me. And as soon as the waters are parted and I can see I can safely go across without any risk of injury to myself and any more change to the way I've lived my life, only then will I walk through. Chris, when you went to that house, and you, particularly when you went back, you had to step into those waters. You know, Grandma didn't say, let me take all of the anxiety of all these African Americans around you looking at like, homie, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I've, the only thing that's even close to me was I walked across downtown Harlem at 2 o'clock in the morning on, on New Year's Eve. Not a smart thing to do. But I thought I was on one line, I was on the other. I took the express. I was 125th and Lenox instead of 125th and Broadway. And I walked up and a lady on the stoop, she looked at me and she laughed and she said, Honey, do you know where you are? And I said, No, ma'am, I don't. She says, You're in the middle of downtown Harlem at 2 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve. You don't want to be here. I said, no, ma'am, I don't. You know, and that's the situation that we find. And, like, you know, at that point, it's like, run away. You just, that Monty Python line, run away, keep running. But God says, okay, there's a path ahead of you. you got to walk. The rivers are going to part. But you have to take the first step into the waters first. Here's the, here's the thing. The the, the, the Chaim is, 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 is always praying that, God, I need to win the lottery because I need to send my, my, my son to the best yeshiva. I've, I promised you, God, that I would send my son to the best yeshiva in the city, but I can't do that until I win the lottery. And every week he's praying and he's praying and he's praying, and after all, God says, Chaim, would you give me a break and at least buy a lottery ticket? You know, sometimes we want God to do something for us, and we're not doing anything. We're not doing a thing. And then we wonder why nothing changes. This is really not that complicated when you boil it down. Now, I want to bring in the New Testament reading, because I really love this, because I really think eating vegetarian is a much smarter way. But Paul calls those who eat only vegetables as the weak ones makes me chuckle because I do consider myself in a great unwashed I do understand that if I ate less meat I would be healthier and all that other stuff and I would be vegetarian if I didn't have to give up meat don't get me wrong 
I would easily become vegetarian if I didn't have to give up meat to do so. But Paul's dealing with a church, and, and you got some people who are eating only vegetables, and some people are eating meat. And, and this is, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but this church had differences of opinion. And some people said, it's better to be vegetarian. And some said, no, it's better to eat meat. Some said, it's better to recognize the Sabbath as being particularly holy. Oh, no, all days are the same. And so they're bickering and arguing. Does this sound familiar? And Paul is saying, wait a minute. Those who eat vegetables do so because they love God. Those who don't eat, eat meat do so because they love God. Those who observe the Sabbath particularly do it because they love God. Those who keep all days the same do it because they love God. Can we just get past the fact that we do it differently if we all love God? Can we do that? Can we make that determination? I love God, you love God. Everything else will work itself out. Now here's the thing, the reason I want to bring this up. Because as a church, when you no longer believe that if you don't believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins and hung on a cross, if you don't believe that, if you're going to fry, if you don't believe that, and most of us don't, okay, because we believe in, a, believe in a loving God, then what brings us here on Sunday morning? It's freedom is two things. It's freedom from and it's freedom for. The Hebrew people knew what they were fleeing from. They were fleeing from slavery. They were fleeing from a bondage that they knew and was killing them, but they didn't know what they were going toward. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness because they couldn't figure it out. I guarantee you, if we say, well, we're free from all that garbage that has saddled very narrow views that Christians have held over history. We're free from that. But what are we free for? What gets you here on Sunday morning? Why are you here missing Sunday morning football? Or gardening in your garden? Because i got to tell you, you know, the thing is, we live, we live in a pretty beautiful part of the world, don't we? When I ask Phyllis, how are you doing? And your response is, living the dream. We're living a dream. We live in a world that, for the most part, it's about 70, 75 degrees average year-round. It don't snow here. You don't have to shovel it. You come from Minnesota, that's a benefit. And yet, you look around in the people in this town, and how many people are just depressed? Now, it's not the weather. And a lot of them are living in pretty nice homes. And a lot of them have pretty good friends. So what is it, what is it that made Chris say, you know what? I don't know who I am. I don't know what God is calling me for. God troubled the water what's troubling us that we're moving toward and i gotta tell you that for me 
the first law or the first commandment is not thou shalt be right. <laughs> That's how I like to, I like to be right. I really, really don't like it when I'm not. It bothers me greatly. I will go to great lengths not to be wrong. And yet God doesn't give a rip because I'm wrong most of the time. And God still loves me. Do you have to drive the right car to be loved by God? Do you have to live in the right home to be loved by God? Do you have to wear Chanel number five? I don't know what you wear. She's like, I don't wear that. What do you need to do to be loved by God? This is not a rhetorical question. What do you need to do to be loved by God? I got all day. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Immerse yourself in everything, and that will, yeah. And, and God will smile when you do that, but you need to be loved. The answer is no. The first answer was the correct one. There's nothing you have to do to be loved. Now, what does God want us to do? Love. Hard. Can be. But there's nothing you have to do, but there's something on the other side. And for each of you, it is different. You all know what it is that God stirs water for you to do. You know, we all down deep kind of know. And if we've got good friends, they'll kind of share that with us. One of the other terrible truths about um, ourselves is that if your path is clear, it's probably not your path. <laughs> I look at people and I think, man, your path is so clear to me. I don't have a clue about mine, but yours is so clear to me. But that's why it takes a church who will, in our, in our disagreement, love one another, see the best that we can be, and say, you know what, there's water there, but if you take a step in, it's going to part. Isn't it? It's going to part. And even if you end up swimming, I'll swim with you. I'm a lifeguard. What? Anyway. I'll swim with you. Sometimes the waters don't part. The old adage, when God closes a door, God opens a window. Although sometimes you find that the screen is still on the window. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the window's open, but there's a screen. I still got to get through that sucker. So sometimes it's harder than other times. But I want us to be able to say with Paul, whether we eat vegetables or we don't, I mean eat meat, and whether we observe all days the same or whether we, you know, view this as beautiful or we view that as beautiful or this is important or this is important, we do so because we love God. And if we can get there and recognize that, the waters will part. But don't kid yourself we leave Egypt. We take Egypt with us. And even if we don't want to, it follows us. This doesn't surprise anybody. So surround yourselves with friends good and true. Surround yourselves with people who love the Lord.
who want us to move forward in faith and live. And if we do that, we walk on dry ground. Amen.